much carbon monoxide for me to bear. Oh, yes. Yes, indeed. It's been a while. That's okay. Because we're here to fill up your lives with Philadelphia Sports Talk on the only 7 for 7 podcast in this illustrious city, Crossing Broadcast. I'm Russ Joy, joined as always by the magnificent quafted hair of Fishtown's finest Kevin Kincaid, who you can find on Twitter at Kevin underscore Kincaid. Do you like it? My wife cut it herself. I think she did a pretty good job, actually. She did a really nice job. I, I was digging the uh, the Jesus look you had going on when you mm-hmm. uh, put out the tweet about the uh, It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia jerseys, the kits, if you will. Right. We should talk about that a little bit. Make sure you get a, a nice plug in there. That was a good picture because my hair was like wet and it was actually kind of like hanging down. I didn't have the the afro, like the crazy carrot top looking thing going on at that point. You're like channeling your inner Roman reigns. And also with us tonight, one of our other favorite co-hosts, not Bob Wankel, that son of a biscuit down in godforsaken New Jersey. We've got Anthony Sanfilippo, who you can find on Twitter at Ant San Philly. That was a little rough. Yeah, that's all right. Uh, um, I'm appreciating this. I wish that the listeners could actually see us. We are, we're recording this over Zoom, um, but because we're not putting the video out, Russ is laying on his couch like he's waiting for Nancy to come serve him grapes. Paint me like one of your French girls. <laughs> yeah, he's just like, lounging across his couch. You look like one of the Roman uh, gods or emperor. Thank like you. Bacchus waiting, uh, <laughs> waiting for uh, somebody to pour you a goblet of wine. Per favore. Yes. Like fan you with a palm, with like a big palm leaf tree thing, whatever the hell you want to call it. Kevin, do you remember when, uh, when you had your first, your first, your only daughter, uh, Mm-hmm. We all joked with you about how your life was going to be over. And you were like, oh, yeah, that was the running thing, yeah. And then you were like, well, it's really not that bad. You're like, it's not, it's not all that different. When, when you have three, it, it, really, uh, it really changes things. Well, you were, I remember we were at Bob's wedding, and you were talking to my wife, and you were like, oh, yeah. Well, the background, she wants to have another one, and I'm fine with just having one. And Russ is like, well, yeah, when you have two, they play with each other, and they keep it's each true. other occupied and stuff like that. And I was sending you these nasty looks. and like, would you just shut the fuck up right now? Like, don't, <laughs> don't put any ideas into her head. Don't give her, like, any, like, clues as to, like, why this would be a good idea. I was secretly uh, annoyed with that. But now it's all good. Congratulations, my man. Thanks, man. And, and, you, and you know, Russ, it's funny, like, you guys, you've almost mirrored me exactly. Oh, here we go. No, no, no. God. I'm not even going to say that. I'm not even going to say what I'm going to say. He is the story stealer. He is the... No. Oh, go ahead. Go no. ahead. I, I was young and had three children that were all under the age of six. So I know where you're coming from. My Anthony, look at that muck of coffee he's got. <laughs> It's not even a <laughs> This is ridiculous. It's like a bowl. He's drinking out of a bowl. We, sh- we should release the video of this. It'd be great. Uh, Our uh, comments section on the site. Oh, that'd be tremendous. No, Let's but, take a picture right now. Yeah. But you need the coffee in the picture. Okay, hold on, let me get you the need coffee. the coffee in the photo. Yeah, a little okay. screenshot. All of coffee. A little screenshot. Yeah. That, that's far funnier than anything I was going to say. But I just know. I remember what it was like when you, when you have three kids. You know, Anthony was almost six when uh when andrew was born but uh yeah it was, it's almost the same ages as your kids and uh the look on your face right now i had it man 
<laughs> I remember it. And I usually don't let this get get me all that worn down, but uh, today was rough. Today was rough. But that's not why people are here. They don't want to hear about child rearing, right? They want to hear about Philadelphia sports. We haven't done an episode, by the way, since the before the NFL draft. And instead of, well, I don't know. I don't know if you guys want to talk about it at all because it was uh, probably my least favorite thing to happen in quite some time. The NFL the draft. draft? No, not the draft itself. It was, it was everything that happened after it. It was, it was from the second round pick all the way through the end. It, can I you're just... Talking, you're talking about this Philadelphia. Is, this is how you want to, but this is how you want to talk about it. You want to wait three weeks and you yeah. want to let the dust settle Which, and you want, want to let everybody do their knee-jerk reaction and then you want to kind of approach it pragmatically, yeah? Yeah, which is why I'm happy that we didn't do the show right away. Because people getting upset about the Jalen Hurts pick in the moment, and I was one of them who just said, like, hashtag institutional arrogance, because it is. Um, I, you know, I, I always get kind of worked up when I see people um, trying to evaluate third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round picks as if they have any idea who any of these guys are or watched any actual meaningful film on them outside of the highlight clips when you start getting into like the Eagles are three picks away who are some guys they might look you know look at and then you go on YouTube and you pull up like the top three people that McShay or Kuiper have on their board so you can try to sound as though you're educated in them but like how many people really are watching most of these guys as they're drafted and then like immediately after the fact are ripping the picks or saying oh man this guy's got a lot of potential like the hell do you know You know what I mean? And so I think now when we're a few weeks out, we can kind of take a look at these from more of a macro level and say, all right, did the Eagles, when all is said and done, when the free agency uh, dust has settled, the draft dust has settled, and you look at the positions that they've decided to address, the way that the the board kind of fell to them in this draft, did they do a good job? So I kind of want to go a little bit more macro here, but like, do you think that Howie Roseman and company had a decent draft. Like we don't need to do a grade because you you really can't evaluate this stuff for a few years, but like based on what you saw based on free agency, based on the draft, do you think the team is, is potentially better going into the season? I mean, the addition of Jalen Rager makes them better, obviously, you know, cause that was probably the biggest position in need. I mean, if you go through the list of guys that they got and the needs that they had, you could say that they addressed that. You know, they needed a wide receiver and they needed some speed. So they got that. They needed a safety. They got that in Kayvon Wallace. They needed a linebacker. You know, they got that in Davion Taylor, who admittedly is a project who hasn't played a lot of football. Uh, you did, after the Thorson debacle last year and, you know, cycling through veteran quarterbacks, you could say the backup quarterback was a need going into next season. Did you need to spend a second round pick on it? No. Uh, but I mean, you know, they, they address pretty much what they need. I just don't think they got the best players at their positions. I'm like, look, I mean, I think everybody's trying to overthink the Jalen Hurts thing here. I think the takeaway that I keep coming back to is that I love Jalen Hurts. I just hated using the second round pick on him. You know, I think a lot of people probably say that. It's just, you know, if you if he could have been, maybe he wouldn't have been there in, in the third round. And then so be it. You know, but you needed a safety and a linebacker. You could have gone wide receiver in the first round could have gone linebacker safety quarterback or he could have gone wide receiver in the first round safety linebacker quarterback in that order i don't think anybody really had a problem with look you got you have a cost-controlled 
quarterback for a couple of years behind Carson Wentz. Okay, that's fine. Uh, you know, all of the other like off field controversy stuff, notwithstanding, like just looking at it on paper. But uh, yeah, I mean, they, they, this team was not a backup quarterback away. I don't think they had the luxury of using a second round pick on a quarterback. Cause you know, I mean, Anthony, you know, like when in that 45 to 60, 65 range, there's a pro bowler that comes out of there every year, Mm -hmm. you know, like a Juju Smith Schuster type or something like that. So I just don't, again, it's like, I mean, if you value that position, you think it's the most important thing in the world, fine. But uh, you know, you needed other stuff first and just the order they did, it just looks wonky to me. Yeah. And and that was, that was my biggest complaint. Um, uh, You know, you could have gotten, you, you could have done this so many different ways and you just explained a few of them. Another option that they could have done is they could have signed a veteran quarterback who, you know, might not have been as expensive as you think, considering there are some that are still unsigned at this point right now. Um, so you could have brought in a veteran guy and maybe drafted a quarterback a little bit later, you know, fourth round where a couple of guys went that, you know, that's really slid down the board. Uh, Eason and uh, uh, um. Jacob from, uh, yeah, from, from uh, Georgia. So, um, you know, you could have gone that route. I, but at the same time, um, you know, I, I understand why they're doing it. I just thought that you, you said it best. They were not in the position where they could get, where they could just say, you know what, we have so many other things filled. Let's take the chance now. You could gamble mm-hmm. if, you, if you didn't need other things. You could, you could have gambled there. And it wouldn't have been a bad pick. But the fact was is that they passed up other things. Look, Kayvon Wallace has said all the right things. He's, he's got a lot of people fired up about the right attitude. He's, you know, working with Brian Dawkins as like a mentor. I get it, right? I mean, so like everybody's going to be excited about that. But let's be honest. Until we actually see him out on the field, we have no idea what he's going to be. He's still a fourth round. He's a fourth round pick, yeah. <laughs> which they don't, you know, I mean, yeah, do guys in later rounds turn out to be really good players? Sure they do. But what are the percentages? If we're playing percentages, the odds of the fourth round pick becoming a quality starter in the NFL are not as high as they would be if you drafted somebody in the second round. So that's why I think that the Eagles just went about it the, the, the wrong way. Not to say that they picked the wrong player, but they just went about it in the wrong way. So let me throw out two questions then to, to you guys. Kevin, you've, you've watched the most college film, I would think, of, of the three of us. So the, the idea was out there that C.D. Lamb, in order to, to get up to what was the, the Atlanta pick, right? Was that 15? It's been a while now. Uh, uh, could have yeah. cost them their first and second round picks. C.D. Lamb versus Jalen Rager, who they end up with. Are we talking about a, what could be a ginormous difference in terms of upside and, and raw talent. Are we talking about CD lamb has a higher floor, but maybe they have similar ceilings. Like what, what do you think? I don't know, man. See, I think I'm biased a little bit because I'm not a huge fan of the big 12. And uh, you know, I watch a lot of that more than anything. Cause obviously my team is in the conference, but you know, Oklahoma, I remember there was a quote from a scout that made it into a story that I then used in one of our stories where a scout was talking, where he said, it's hard to evaluate the Jalen Hurts film because the big 12 is like seven versus seven high school bullshit. You know, it's true. Um, But Oklahoma just has so much more talent than everybody else that it was hard to, 
really get a true evaluation, I think, on C.D. Lamb in conference. I think the thing that stuck out about C.D. Lamb was that if you looked at his performances in the biggest games against Texas, Big 12 championship game, playoffs, he had huge games at that point. So that's what sold me on him. I was a little iffy of like – you know, taking guys out of the Big 12 because it's all offense and no defense, much more so than other conferences. But um, Rager was like, I can't understate how how weird his college experience was. He comes in as a freshman and he's playing with Kenny Hill throwing him the ball. Kenny Hill was a great quarterback who transferred from Texas A&M to TCU and he had him for the first year. Then he had three quarterbacks over the next two years, the one last year who was a true freshman. Um, so it was weird. He had his best quarterback when he was a freshman and he had his worst quarterback when he was a junior. So you'd think that even, you know, because he's higher up on the depth chart, he'd be able to overcome that and he'd still be able to put up big numbers, but he didn't. Um, I don't know. I, I think when it comes down to it, I would have rather had, see, I think the thing everybody was talking was forgetting when they were talking about trading is that they didn't have, if they traded number 53, they weren't going to pick again until the bottom of the third round. It yeah. wasn't a good third round pick it wasn't even a good second round pick so people would have been like rah rah cd lamb and then some people would have been pissed off that they weren't going to pick again until late friday night you know so i think if you told me you know you could have would you rather have jalen rager and jalen hurts or cd lamb i think i'd rather have rager and hurts okay two for the price of one you know what i mean so then the other part of this that i think has kind of gotten overlooked is and it's not common to see teams work their way out of the second round entirely. Usually it's just a trade back. But like if you're the Eagles and and say that you really do love Jalen Hurts, I don't know how many spots back you're talking about moving, but like couldn't you theoretically have tried to to parlay a future asset, a future draft pick, maybe next year's second, along with something else, another kind of conditional pick to get yourself back into the second round. If there was somebody who was of uh, you know, the the kind of player that you needed to fit an actual need and then pick up Hurts later or or pick Hurts where you ended up picking him and then try to get back up into the second round to go after one of maybe four or five other guys that you had targeted. Yeah, I mean, theoretically, it's probably easier to wheel and deal the further down the board you get. Like, I think, I, I think it's just funny how everybody thinks it's a given that Howie should just do the deal, right? Just yeah. do what you got to do. Pay whatever price. Well, I mean, if the price is like uh, your only second rounder, then they want like a fifth round or two, or they want a fourth round. I mean, sometimes you just can't do it. Like you can say it as much as many times as you want on Twitter, and you can yell at Howie as much as you want, but sometimes it's just not feasible. Sometimes it's just not the right move. So you take the next best guy, and then you use your second round pick on somebody else too. I just think the thing that like I keep coming back to is – uh the off-field ramifications really are are big. You know, I mean, they can try to downplay it as much as they want, but I don't think it's a stretch to say that they went that Carson Wentz went into the NFL draft as a franchise quarterback, and they came out with a quarterback controversy. <laughs> because if um, you know, if Hertz pushes Carson Wentz, uh, okay, maybe that makes him play better. But and then you have a controversy. But if he doesn't, then you have a second-round quarterback just rotting on the bench. So you're fucked either way. Like there's a lose-lose in a situation here, no matter what happens. I don't know what the best case scenario is. I mean, the best case scenario would be, you know, again, everybody's saying like, well, if, if Jalen Hurts pushes Carson Wentz to be on the field 16 games and play his best, and that's great. Okay. But then the ceiling of Jalen Hurts is what sitting him on the bench for three years or trading him. This is not like drafting 
uh, Jimmy Garoppolo when Tom Brady was already 30 something. You know what I mean? This isn't like running Taysom Hill plays when Drew Brees was already 37 or 38 or whenever they drafted him too. So there's going to be a, a in, in either situation that happens, there's going to be a losing element to it. You know what I mean? Whether it's the off-field thing or whether it's the on-field thing with the second-round draft pick just sitting on the bench. I'm going to give you two – I'm going to go out on two limbs here, all right? First limb is, is this. If Carson Wentz gets hurt this year, Jalen Hurts is not the quarterback who comes into the, into the game. Going to go Studfeld? It, that's who it's going to be. Especially – and, you know, the odds get better for Hurts the longer the season goes before Wentz gets hurt. But if Wentz, let's say Wentz gets hurt in the first eight games of the season, it's not going to be Jalen Hurts who comes in. God. The Eagles are going to try – they're still going to try and win. And without – you have a rookie coming in with no mini camp, no – I mean, and, and your actual camp is probably going to be, you know, virtual for the most part until later in the summer. And then, of course, I, people, I are, people are going to say, well, why did you draft him in the second round if he's not ready to play right now? You know? Right. Well, yeah. but, that, but that's the thing, right? So, that, so that's my one limb that I'm going to go out on. And the second limb that I'm going to go out on is I'm going to say this. While I don't think Jalen Rager will be the best wide receiver that was drafted this year, I think he'll be better than CeeDee Lamb. Woo. So in that sense, I think the Eagles Woo. ended up with a better receiver. Well, what makes trading. you what, based on what? What makes you say that? I, I just don't like I just don't like CD Lamb. I you know I've I've watched a few games uh, with Oklahoma this year. I just just don't the guy just I don't like the way. I mean, look, you've you've said it yourself so many times. Big Twelve football, there's no defense, right? I know. <laughs> that ought to be no, there, there really isn't you know and and so like i sit there and watch him like okay he's putting up all these yards and he's scoring scoring th- but nobody's playing against him and i he doesn't seem like the kind of guy i think he's going to struggle early in his career dealing with physical corners press corners uh, and then nfl players who can who can run with him whereas rieger i think is a guy who you know he, he's he's so much faster i think he can he could get off the ball a little bit quicker you know, I don't want to make this comparison because they're a little bit different players, but I think that his career trajectory is going to be a lot closer to like a Jeremy Macklin than I think. Than- and I that think that's bad. I think C.D. Lamb's yeah. going to, tra- and I think C.D. Lamb's going to traje- his trajectory is going to be more like Michael Crabtree. Ooh, I think that's fair. I think the interesting thing too, and I got, I have two quick points here. Number one, just let me make a point about the Big Twelve. See, I think it, they think they neglect defense just because they recruit so heavily on the offensive side of the ball, and that's always just been the philosophy there. It's not that good defensive players can't be found in Texas and Oklahoma and Kansas right. and whatever. I just think that, number one, it's influenced a little bit, but it is influenced a little bit by philosophies in high school football in Texas where it's spread offense. They try to throw the ball around. and It's not like, like uh, watching Cinnamonson versus Palmyra up here where they're just running the ball every time. You know, mm-hmm. it's, a little bit, it's a little bit different down there, so they recruit – these big, you know, four-star, five-star offensive players. And then the trenches and the defensive side of the ball, they just kind of fill it in where they can. You know what I mean? Like they have like these, these quote-unquote athletes, three-star athletes who end up playing corner. And they might have been a wide receiver in high school, but they're not good enough to play a wide receiver for Texas Tech. So they just stuff them back there and say, you're five foot ten, you're quick, you know, go play corner. And Big 12 teams will sit in zone 
they'll only rush three defenders, you know, because there's not a lot of big guys on the defensive line. There's not a lot of pass rush. And then you're running up against these horses from Oklahoma who can protect Jalen Hurts for like three, four, five seconds. You know what I mean? So there's just not the, the philosophy there to build these offenses is crazy compared to, to the neglect that they put into the defensive side of the ball, you know? And so like the point with Jalen Hurts, he, um, he's a guy who he will look at his first target and if the target's not there, generally what he would do is he would just pull the ball down and run. And it served him really well because he's so athletic and he can do all kinds of crazy stuff with his feet. He's he more like, honestly, he reminded me a little bit more of Tebow in college than Taysom Hill. I know everybody keeps tossing the Taysom Hill thing out there, but Hertz was more of a downhill north and south kind of guy. I guess Hill kind of was too, but he just, he just, it felt like I was watching Tebow a little bit more. Um, Jalen Hurts is not a guy who's going to sit in the pocket, climb the pocket, avoid a tackler, and look through his to his second and third progression. Um, you know, and to you, to your point, Anthony, about him not being ready to play, even if he had a full you know rookie camp and preseason and stuff like that, I still don't know if he would be ready to play if there was an injury because he's yeah. just he's he's got to learn how to. He's he's a classic dual threat guy who's got a ton of talent and can probably be a great quarterback in this league. But even Lamar Jackson wasn't ready to start day one, you know? So, I mean, I think he needs some time. I just think that's his, his biggest thing. He's great with his feet, but he would often kind of use that as like a, um, uh, you know, a, a crutch, a, a crutch, you know, when he didn't see what he wanted to see out there or his first guy was covered, you know? Yeah. You know, you've, you've brought up multiple times now about the quarterback needing time, needing protection. This is and, a Jason Peters and, segue right here. And I just you know where he's going. Russ is Russ is a one track mind. <laughs> I know I know that this is gonna shock a lot of people, but it doesn't seem like the free agent market for Jason Peters is really heated up. And I saw I think it was John Clark today tweeted something out about how uh, Jason Peters wants to join a very exclusive club of like playing into their forties. And it's like, do you think he's gonna be able to to start in his forties? And it's like, well, yeah, he'll be able to start in three or four snaps in he's going to pull himself out for the rest of the game are you guys surprised at all because i've seen a lot of people including a lot of the uh, legacy media in the town you know continue to beat the jason peters drum that you know he brings so much to the table that you should go with him for another year are you guys surprised that there hasn't been more interest in jason peters there haven't been many rumors there have only been like one or two that have just kind of tangentially you know talked about like a cursory interest from a team but he's he claim they're claiming that he only wants to play in philly so what do you believe do you believe that he only wants to play i mean i could i could see that for sure but then it wouldn't make sense you know that they would cut ties with him only for him to come right back you know it's it would be i I think the thing here is that it's an admission look if, if andre dillard isn't ready he's not ready okay but that's also an admission that he probably wasn't the right pick bingo because yeah, I mean, your first first round left tackle pick should be ready to play by at least year two. Yes. Yeah. My my issue is not necessarily with the fact that they want to bring Jason Peters back. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, you want to bring that guy in to be a locker room presence, a backup lineman at this point in his career. You, you could have far worse, right? I mean, if if there's an injury to to your starter and and Peters wants to be part of the team and and he'll, he'll come in, great. But to bring him back to start because Dillard's not ready, that's much more alarming to me in the sense that they got it wrong last year with Andre Dillard. Well, it's a red flag, you know? I mean, it's like the same thing. You, you could, you could, I could sit here and you could convince me that even Jason Peters playing 80% of the snaps is 
is a decent way to go. Like, look, the guy's still a pro bowler. And when he was out there, he was playing at a pretty high level. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not concerned about that. I think the fa- I think what's alarming, the red flag to your point is just that they've, they've been kicking the left tackle can down the road for like five years now. Which has been and my Andre, long held issue with this whole thing. Big V, Andre Dillard, Jordan Mailata. You know, I, I, if they said last year, we're going to draft a left tackle in the first round, then that's, you're saying this is our guy of the future. You know, and uh, yeah, I, just I, hate to use, I, don't, I don't like using the term bust because I think it's kind of corny. But like the expectation is that if you take a, a left tackle in the first round, that they sh- they should very well be ready to take over by year number two, if not year number if one. not if not the end of year one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so I think that's, that's a, what bothers. But me. okay, so let me ask you guys this because this comes back to like the the issue that I had with the way that he was he was used down the stretch last year. I like I I said at the time that I thought going back to Jason Peters when he came back from injury was, was a poor decision because you needed to get your potential left tackle of the future, some actual meaningful game reps. And you didn't get to do it down the stretch last year. You could have, but you opted not to. And I wonder if that has kind of hurt the kid's development. I wonder if that has in some way, shape or form negatively impacted his stock within the organization because you know, as, as Anthony pointed out, it would be nice to have the guy come back and, and have him as a backup. I'd have no problem with that. The issue is Jason Peters is not a backup. He has never been a backup player. When Jason Peters is healthy, Jason Peters starts. And he has always been like that throughout his career. I mean, it's interesting. I don't, I, I've, look, if, if, if you think that Jason Peters is only going to play 75 or 80% of the snaps and Dillard gets another 20, 25%, okay, fine. Um, it maybe kicking the can down the road ends up functioning fine on the field. You know, again, I just think it's like a optics thing that again says that they probably didn't get a draft pick. Right. You know, is all. And um, I want to make one point kind of backing up about the Carson Wentz backup quarterback thing, because Howie, Howie Roseman went on WIP the day after on, on uh, Monday after the draft and uh, he said two things back-to-back, answered two questions right in a row that I thought were contradictory. And he said, we think the quarterback position is the most important position in, the, in sports. Uh, but then he also said, well, because we have cost control with Jalen Hurts now, we can free up money to spend elsewhere. Uh, okay, well, I mean, that's fine, but you could have got a cost-controlled starter if you used it on a safety or a linebacker in the second round who turned out to be a stud. Okay, so... I think people need to understand like Carson Wentz's huge cap hit doesn't really kick in until the year after this one. Like he's going to hit the cap around 18.5 million this year. And then it rockets up to like 30, whatever million the year after. So the philosophy of spending money on a backup quarterback, because how he was saying, well, we spent about $8 million a year on a backup quarterback over the last four years. Uh, okay, good. Well, one of those won you a Super Bowl. So, like philosophically wouldn't or theoretically wouldn't you want to continue with that philosophy that like helped you so, so much the first time um you know so if Carson Wentz is hitting the cap at 18.5 million Nate Sudfeld's hitting it at 2 million you have room to pay like 5 million dollars to like a Cam Newton or a Andy Dalton or a, a Jameis Winston even you know, like a throw three million dollars at Matt Moore or something he won a couple games for the Super Bowl winner this year you know you don't you don't really have to address that cost control at the backup quarterback position until the year after this one so I just don't understand how they're going to come out. If you're going to come out and tell me that quarterback is the most important position of sports, then spend $5 million on a backup quarterback and $30 million on your starter, yep. you know, and then look for cost control in the draft at other positions. You know, it just seemed a little, I don't know, like contradictory to me. I, the, the thing for me with, with the Eagles that I think is a little bit different right now 
is that in pre in the last few seasons, they've approached their uh, roster building and their uh, their in season decisions with the roster as if they were all in to try and win. Right. This draft was the first time that I didn't get a sense that they were going all this all whole off season really that they were going to go all in. And I think that that, you know, they're not all in right now by drafting Jalen Hurts because if something happens to Wentz, you're not going anywhere with, with Sudfeld and a rookie. But shouldn't they be all in? I mean, I'm looking at the NFC, an NFC East that, again, is winnable, that has three brand-new head coaches. Like, who, 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 who should they really fear? Well, they shouldn't the fear NFC anybody right in the division. I mean, Dallas, Dallas is still – if Dallas gets it right, I mean, if McCarthy – you know, harnesses the talent there, they could be better. Um, but other than really, that, are you really afraid of San Francisco? Well, so I look at the rest of the league and I sit there and say, New Orleans, San Francisco, uh, Tampa, um, you're are probably your three at the top. Um, Tampa's not going to win nine games this year. Why? I, I think that they're going to be better. Than, I think they're going to be a little bit better than that. No, I know. Just I, kidding. I just wanted to get Kevin upset. Russ, Russ is laying on the couch, just doing hot takes now. That's what yeah. No, saying. I think that the, I think they'll win ten. 10 would or, it be shocking to? No. Okay. Okay. Now I meant that as a joke, but like seriously, would it shock you if if nine and seven happened to Tampa? No, they're in it. They're no, it wouldn't. I'm, well, it's not their a, schedule. It's not, their schedule's not easy. They have a tough schedule. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta no. go back and look at their defense too. Like I've, I know very little about their defense because I didn't watch it. I didn't watch much of Tampa outside of Jameis throwing however many interceptions he threw. 30? 30. Yeah. Thirty. Number yeah. thirty with the yeah. pick he six been, in the final game of the season. <laughs> Jameis is me, your backup quarterback. Like that could have been fun. Or well, Cam, me, or Cam Newton. Cam Newton. Let me, let me say this. Let me say this. We, we. I mean, we spent all of the last two years. Carson Wentz spent all of the last two years carrying like the biggest monkey in the world on his back. Okay. Like he last year, he, you know, after Nick Foles won the Super Bowl, he was like trying to lift King Kong off of his shoulders. You know, it was like trying to like get Harambe off of you. You know, it was like trying to get Coco, the sign language gorilla off your back, you know? So he goes out and he wins four straight games to clinch the division, throwing to a bunch of nobodies. And, you know, I think like, you know, when Bob comes on the podcast, like he's not the, uh, really a Carson Wentz guy, but I think we would all say that he was fair about it and he probably came around to it a little bit after Wentz won the four games in a row. So we finally got over this hump of the Wentz and the Foles thing and the quarterback controversy. It seemed like Carson Wentz, even with the concussion was primed to like, kind of like step into the spotlight on his own this year. And they took that and just threw it right into the shitter. You know, like here we are starting up again this year with another quarterback thing, you know, with more question marks for Carson Wentz. I mean, I listened to the conference call he did with the media and the first four questions went like this. Hey Carson, congratulations on becoming a father. What did you think of the Jalen Hurts draft pick? Four different varieties of a Jalen Hurts thing. It's just like he can say as many times as he wants. Like, yeah, it doesn't matter. We're just trying to win and whatever. But like, sure, that that has an effect. And and you could see, even if they block out all the noise, you know, if they ever have fans in the stadium again, he throws one worm burner into the turf, and the fans are booing him. 
you know, calling for Jalen Hurts. I just don't know why you shoot yourself in the foot when you were finally like in a good situation with the quarterback room and he had kind of stepped out of the Nick Foles shadow a little bit. And now you're just throwing him right back into it. You know? Yeah. And it's the team that's doing it because, you know, it's interesting. I, one of the funny stories I heard this week, maybe you saw it as well. It was, um, and it wasn't talking about Carson Wentz and, and Jalen Hurts. But it was more about uh, Green Bay, you know, Aaron Rodgers uh, and uh, Jordan Love. And um, Steve Young was talking about, you know, when the 49ers drafted in the first round, Jim Druckenmiller uh, to be his replacement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Steve Young says, you know, he says, I, you know, I, didn't, I didn't get all upset. He says, I figured, let, let me wait and see. Let me take a look at the guy. We go out for the first practice. I watched him throw the ball, and I said, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, so, you know, I mean, that's the thing. Like, I mean, you're looking at this quote-unquote controversy, and, and right now, as of right now, from the day of the draft to today, the controversy is totally our doing, right? The mm-hmm. fans and the media and people talking about it. The controversy is our doing. Yes, the Eagles drafted the player, which created the controversy. But there is there really a controversy until something happens on the field? No, it's only something that we are kind of creating, right? But there's but what here's if, the thing. There's like there's like I'll just make this point real quick. There's like an element of losing, no matter how this situation ends up, right? Look, sure. even if Carson Wentz goes out and gets injured in the first game, and Jalen Hurts plays lights out, and he's the quarterback of the future then you're eating, eating dead cap for Carson Wentz, mm-hmm. you know, and then it's an admission that you were incorrect in uh, giving him the contract that you did, you know, and then we already went over the other two situations where if Carson Wentz plays well, then you have a second round quarterback sitting on the bench, you know, and we talked about the faux pas with a salary cap too. So it just, I, I don't know. I mean, even if, even if the best case scenario uh, works out in this one, there's still going to be an element of like, okay, you didn't, really have to do it that way you know what i mean well sure i mean that so things can go wrong and are more likely to go wrong than not go wrong with having jalen hurts here but that doesn't necessarily mean that the controversy truly exists yet yeah it doesn't exist until wentz doesn't play well and i know that people i I know the teams like all all teams end up eating dead cap or you know um, thinking that a contract makes sense when they when they offer it to a player you know but i mean they, they knew his injury history when they did it so um, I don't know. It just seemed like they, they, the boat was like steady and they rocked it when it didn't really have to be rocked, you know? Yeah. What if we're missing the point? Like, is, is, is Jalen Hurts a good football player? Mm-hmm. Yeah, is he, so. like, what are, what are his skills? What are, his, what are the skills that set him apart? What are the skills that are are that make him worthy of a second round pick? Because it sounded like a bunch of teams had a second round grade on him. I mean, I I honestly think my take is that I think teams looked at Lamar Jackson a little bit and said, okay, maybe we can do a little, maybe he could be this guy, you know. But I mean, he's an athlete. He's a he's a good passer. He's he's a good athlete. He's he's a, a winner. Passer. He's, he's a tough. Winner. He's you a know, tough he's, north-south guy. You said yourself, like a Tebow-esque guy. He's durable. So now, so now if, if nothing else, you've added a guy who could be a short yardage weapon who gives you uh, another look in the red zone, a guy who might be able to take away some of those, although Carson has always been very good in fourth and one kind of situations, like maybe now this gives you a, a guy who can take the beating on, on those plays. But, like, what if we're missing the point entirely? Like, what if the, the way they intend to employ Jalen Hurts is 
as a real X factor. You combine him with what Rager can be. We know that he's probably going to be used on special teams as a returner. You think of like a, a young Deshaun Jackson, like what if the idea here, what if Howie and Doug came up with this plan that we're going to go for guys and almost create positionless football where instead of fitting the traditional mold, where like CD lamb is what CD lamb is going to be. He's going to be this, this guy that you're going to line up on the outside. And that is his role. Rager maybe is a guy that you can employ in a, in a whole bunch of other facets. Like what if the idea here is to just get the most talented players on the field at any given time and have to put that slight bit of doubt in a defense's mind. Like maybe they're, maybe they're not totally stupid for making these picks. Like maybe it does end up working out. The only issue that I can see is hurts as a passer on the field is also at the detriment to the offense because you know, Wentz isn't going to, isn't going to be a receiver. Right. And you're not going to put him in, in any kind of position where he's going to take a bad hit. But I mean, that's yes. I mean, they could be trying to be super cutting edge and be ahead of the curve and think of all kinds of different things that other people aren't thinking of. But I, I just, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't see football becoming that, you know, what if I mean? the like, Eagles, I, uh, what if the Eagles propose a, uh, a rule change that, that meeting's already passed, right? The, uh, the rule change meeting where they do the proposals where the Eagles tried to get the, uh, the different two point, uh, two point conversion rule of like where the, the ball is lined up at. Well, and they wanted, like, they wanted the overtime change too. They've been well, pushing for the overtime. What change. if the Eagles in the next year or so decide to try to adopt the XFL rule of the double forward pass. Now that would be interesting because then, then it would all make sense. Then we would yeah, know and, why they want to have two quarterbacks on the field at any game. Yeah, and, and, they, and they want Brilliant. every and yeah, and they want every uh, DeAndre Hopkins catch to count for them instead of for mm-hmm. the Arizona Cardinals. It just, I mean, that's not what, gotten them. what football gotten is. Them. Like football, like like you say, like uh, you know, everybody made the Taysom Hill comparison, and it's like, okay, well, number one, do you draft a guy in the second round just so he's going to go in for like eight to ten bullshit gadget play snaps a game? That's a waste of a second round pick. Yeah. And uh, the other thing about that is like Jalen Hurts is too good of a player to be used for gimmicky bullshit. Like, I mean, if you're going to draft a guy like that, put the ball in his hands and let him play all the snaps. You know what I mean? Like, you, you should be – you want your franchise quarterback to be on the field as much as possible. I mean, look at what they – really what the Eagles are doing is they're just trying to build the Kansas City Chiefs roster. Yeah. Okay. Uh, franchise quarterback, bunch of speed around him. Uh, you know, suitable defense and uh, just try to, you know, make stressful matchups for defenders to have to deal with, you know, good receivers all over the place and a good running back, you know? The only difference is that the Eagles uh, position players haven't, you know, beaten their spouses or their children, allegedly. Oh, that's, that's very allegedly. true, Angelo. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. Um, but listen, look, I mean, I think it's like, it, I think it would be insulting if they drafted Jalen Hill, uh, Jalen Hills, Jalen Hurts. Look at you. Look at to you. Use, Taysom to Hurts? Use him like, to use him like, like Taysom Hill. I mean, come on. You, t- you, don't, you don't like draft somebody. Like, like Taysom Hill was a good college player, but um, you know, he went to BYU. They played an independent schedule. They weren't playing. They played a, they played a pretty tough schedule. They played good teams, but they, 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 he was not you know, running the Alabama gauntlet in the SEC or playing an Oklahoma schedule or something like that. Like Jalen Hurts is – is 10 times the play that Taysom Hill is. I think it would be a huge insult if they used him in a bunch of bullshit like that. All right, so let's move off the Eagles. Kevin, I don't know if you noticed what Anthony just drank from a little bit ago. He drank from a uh, solo cup. And we didn't talk about it on Snow the Goalie, but over the weekend, Anthony and I were in, involved in a flip cup competition 
that was for was it last weekend or was it the week no it was the weekend it was, before oh my gosh it, it, was, it was a sunday before yes yeah, yeah 10 days nine wow, days. okay so we didn't talk about this on snow the goalie but we were asked to do a uh a flip cup tournament as part of a uh hockey fundraiser mm-hmm. and um anthony went up against a guy from pittsburgh in the first round and watching anthony play flip cup was honestly hilarious but he won by default because the other guy just knocked all his cups off the table. And well, aren't, uh, you guys, aren't you guys a little too old to be playing flip cup? Well, I mean, one of us is old. <laughs> You're too old to be playing flip cup too. But I still have a two in my, in my age. I'm you have, yeah, but you have three have kids. A, yeah. I have a few months left though. Like when you hit 30, 30 is too much. 29, yeah. 29 is fine. What are you, what are you drinking? What is that? Yeah. <laughs> You look, you look absolutely you look absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> it's my coffee. Jesus I'm gonna Christ. say this is absurd. Why so, is it absurd? I'm so gonna take a picture because Kincaid didn't put the picture with the, the, the coffee's the coffee part of this is very important. So so let me say this about the flip cup, right? When I was younger, I was great at flip cup. And last Sunday I decided to give it a you know, do some practicing. And so I was going, you know, just sitting there and flip, flipping the cup a few times. And I was like, you know what? I got it. I still got it. Like, I'm not, I'm not behind, you know, it's like riding a bike. You don't forget, you know, how to, how to, you know, but no, well, so the thing of it was, is that my little trick used to be that I would hold the cup with my opposite hand. And then as soon as I was ready to flip it, let it go. That way I had the, it was like a real two two part thing to flip the cup. Oh, you can't do that. That's okay. a two-handed technique. That's a violation in at least eh, 30 states. It might be. But the fact of the matter is that all, all the practicing I did, I did standing up. And then when we went and did the um it's okay, Sarah, you can walk in. It's totally fine. <laughs> Anthony says you can come in. It's totally, Sarah! totally fine. We're, the video's not going video's not going out. We're public, not doing so the video, yeah. It's all good. Um but uh the the uh when I sat down and was doing it, Russ, like I, I couldn't do it. I didn't have Evan. Didn't tell Sarah right. to have, tell her to, she should have a second kid. Two kids <laughs> no. are better than one. I'm not going to tell her that we're having a second kid. We'll have that conversation some other time. <laughs> so anyway, so that's, the, that, that's how, that's why I struggled a little bit there. Although I did flip all five. Yeah. Okay. Good. I'm happy for Anthony. You. It took you like six minutes. No, it, it was, was it was it was, than it was a sad, was your, sad performance in, in your second so, in your match. It was yeah. Bad. Well, hold on. My first now let let the record state that in our bracket, the first legitimate win for Snow the goalie came in round two by yours truly. Hi everyone! Went. Congratulations! Thank you. I can't hear you, but congratulations. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I got the first official win for crossing broad for Snow the goalie. And then I, I blew it in the, uh, was it the semifinal, quarterfinal? The Elite Eight. Yeah, it was the Elite Eight. The Elite I, Eight. I heard my kids I, screaming upstairs. You got shut out. I did. You didn't even get one cup That flip. guy I went up against is probably an alcoholic. He won, by the way. He won the whole thing. Yep. See. See, Kevin was sitting here the whole time. Every time we were you know, bringing up flipping cups, and he's like, oh, that's nothing. I went to West Virginia. We played flip keg. No, it was more like people would just go out and get trashed on the shittiest beer on like a Tuesday night. And then they'd like stumble back into the dorms at like two in the morning, just like reeking of alcohol. It was 
it was just like it was just like 24 7 was the thing and the thing was funny because like people who go to like uh i think the drinking honestly is just as bad at like other schools but like you know if you went to like lehigh for example those kids would like study 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 like monday you know sunday through thursday or stuff like that and then they would just like drink themselves into like a blackout on mm-hmm. Friday night. Whereas at like West Virginia or Penn state or the other big state schools or something like that, you just kind of be like perpetually drunk or high for like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. <laughs> Your goal <laughs> was to black out the semester. Right. And then you just like <laughs> semester yeah. roulette and you just get there. Winter break comes every, in. Was, you just look at your grades. Wow. I didn't know I took sociology. That's cool. I know, it was just everywhere. It was just like such a, such a part of the culture, but it was always like very fun. It was just, it was funny. It was not, it was not, um, it was not sophisticated. People just drank like whatever the hell they could get their hands on. You know, it's not like there was good, there was good beer available. You know, it was just like somebody would like bring a case of like Natty or uh, like Milwaukee's best or something like that. And that was the, that was what you drank. The biggest, the biggest parties we had were when somebody would drive to Pennsylvania and go get Yingling and bring Yingling back. That's how pathetic it was the beverage of my people there was no craft beer back then so it was like <laughs> and you couldn't get yingling in west virginia so you had to drive across the the state border to go get it and come back so those were the that was always exciting when somebody told you that they were going to have yingling at a house party you know i have to ask you because you look really well rested uh do you miss the sixers at all do i miss the sixers at all um let me think of a safe way to answer that i miss basketball uh, I don't the Sixers. The Sixers were just exhausting to uh, to write about and to cover. I mean, it's, I mean, last year too, and the year before. But I mean, this year that team was just like, oh my god, it was just took a lot out of you watching those games with the lack if of I, uh, lack of lack of offense and like just kind of like the stumbling into each other and stuff like that. It just was a, a difficult watch, you know. If the NBA were to use the uh, the potential Disney hub as a way to restart the season. Have you already had the conversation with the maestro, Kyle Scott, about expensing your stay at a Disney resort for the entirety of the NBA regular season and playoffs? I haven't traveled to a single playoff game ever, which is kind of my choice because uh, investor Mike was like, well, if you want to go to Miami, we can get you to Miami. And then I was like, "Uh, you know what? Like, I feel like I can do enough just from here. Why would you pass to Miami? I don't want to go to Miami. Like, my, I'm not really into Miami. Miami's not a great place. It, it's yeah. really not. No, it's... it's I mean, it's the Key West, culture. if there's a basketball game in Key West, I would go. Yeah. Absolutely, man. But, if the uh, Heat played in Fort Lauderdale, it'd be a different story. Like, Fort Lauderdale's a lot nicer. Miami's a whole different world, man. Yeah, it's, Miami's not my bad. And I wasn't going down there to sit on the beach anyway. Like, I was going down there to, like, transcribe quotes and, like, you know, this ain't no vacation. This isn't the Philadelphia Flyers beat from like 1995, right? It wasn't so. that long ago. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle, Kyle ripping the uh, the beat uh, guys was not that long ago. I know. Well, no, it's it's interesting because uh, you know the, the the central location idea is interesting to me because then you get you get into like the Mike Trout thing, you know, like these guys got families and stuff like that. Yeah, I guess they they probably want to play. But uh, I don't know. You're gonna go sit in a hotel for two months and then just go to the 
cafeteria and then play your game and then get tested and then go to bed and then go to the cafeteria and play your game, just rinse and repeat. I mean, like, I, what kind of life is that? You know what, though? I, and this is where I this is where I verge off of that. Now, look, if you're a Mike Trout situation where your wife's pregnant and you're about to have a kid, yeah, you, I get it, right? I mean, that's that's a little bit different, but you know what? If it if if I'm a, an athlete and I'm being paid fifteen million dollars, twenty million dollars a year, I, if it means if it means a paycheck or no paycheck, I, I'm going. And you know, for two months, you know what, family, I'll see you in two months. But guess what? You're going to be set for life because you won't see me for two months. Like that. There's no to me. There's no. I, I I don't I don't buy that excuse. It's it's like it's like when you hear professional athletes saying, "Well, I got to feed my kids." They have no clue what they're they're saying. They really don't, right? So like Charles Sprewell, yeah, like that, right? I mean, they, they, you go go back that far. But I mean, yeah, you know, he's not the only one who's who said that. I mean, I got to put food on the table. I got to like that's like a common phrase in, in by a professional athlete that doesn't make any sense because mm-hmm. you, even the guys who make the minimum salary make you know more than most of us will see in our lifetime. Sure. Um. So it's 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 to me it's a shallow thing to say I got to give up two months of my family life. To, to bring in millions of dollars. I mean, come on. I do think it's easy to simplify it though, to, to that kind of a level though, because like the, the ramifications of it are, are immense. I think the bigger issue, and this is the one that nobody will talk about is these guys aren't going to be able to cheat on their spouses if they have to go live on a hub, you know, like they're, you all your, all your mistresses, all of the, the, the women that you have in these other, in these other towns, that's where the real issue is going to come in. And nobody's going to talk about it because like ESPN, it, it doesn't behoove them to bring up infidelity in sports. But like, it is a real thing. Oh, it's and, rampant. And, and by the way, it's not just the athletes. Like you could talk about the coaches, anybody who works for the team. You're talking about people who are expected to stay at the hotel or whatever that are supposed to work in the hotel. You're telling me that those people are going to be expected to be on the up and up and never leave. Are, are you going to like revoke their their documents are you going to take their driver's licenses so they can't go out of town you know what i mean like there are so many things that that the humans are are not meant to be an isolated species right and the idea that that getting your consistent paycheck if you're the guy who happens to scoop the food at the cafeteria and now because your employer is saying hey there's this, there's this possibility that you get a 25% pay increase, but you have to sequester yourself from your family and your friends for two months. Like, I'm sorry. I don't see that person, one, doing it, and then two, being committed to the quarantine like everybody's supposed to be. I think, like, in, in theory, it's a great idea to do the hub, and I think because of Disney's relationship with the NBA, it's about as, as synergistic of a thing as you could have. But there are so many, so many people that would have to be a hundred percent in line. And I just don't see it. I don't. So I'm, I'm the biggest UFC guy and on for, uh, for the site. And I wrote a bunch about it last week and, and this week and yesterday I, I watch UFC 249 from start to finish. I sat in front of the TV from six 30 until one in the morning. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of wrote my like, observations based on how we could have how you know what did we learn from that event and what is it going to tell us about other sports right 
So um, one of the takeaways I had was about the testing process. So they went through the way they had everybody, they did it in Jacksonville. They had everybody in the same hotel in Jacksonville. They kept them all in individual rooms, uh, masks, testing, all that stuff. They go through the weigh-ins, no problem. One guy missed weight, right? They go through the face-offs, no problem, right? And then later that night, Friday night, they found out that one of the guys tested positive for COVID, right? So they just axed that fight and they went on with the rest of the card, no problem. And you, you had a lot of people who came out and said, okay, well, if one guy tested positive, you got to shut this whole thing down. Yeah. Because, you know, who did he touch? And then was he, did he affect this guy? You got to retest everybody. Or you can't risk it, right? Dana White said, fuck it. You know, we trust our process. And his argument was that, okay, we screened people properly and we had people separated properly that this is how it's going to work. And he said, this is an example of, of the process working. And they went ahead with the card, no problem. But like... <laughs> You, you can do that because it's a 1v1 combat sport where the matches on the card don't interact with one another. You know, if you have even other 1v1 sports, like let's take uh, Wimbledon, for example, okay? Uh, sure, if Roger Federer tests positive, you can cancel his match against Gail Monfils, right? But then they progress to the next round in the tournament bracket and they got to play somebody else. You know, it's not like you can just cancel this one fight and then leave the rest of the card intact. So to me, it's not even a, a, spl a split between team sports and 1v1 sports. It's 1v1 sports that are non-bracket tournament format. So well, I, th I like think if there's, you, if there's a solution to that, though, Kev. I mean, and, and you know, tennis doesn't want to – they're too traditional and they won't change it. But, I mean, the solution to that is very simple. You test everyone, and then you put out your first-round matchups. And you don't put out your second-round matchups until everybody's retested the second time. And then say, okay, this is what it is. And then so forth down the line. I, of course, obviously, you get to a point where, shit, somebody might win a championship because somebody has COVID-19, their opponent has COVID-19. Yeah. And, yeah, that would suck if that, if that were the case. But at least, you know, you're, you're doing it that way and you don't have these giant holes in the bracket or, that are being created by one or two people, um, you know, testing positive for, for the virus. So, you know, you just put it out one round at a time and you don't put out the whole thing. And if somebody has to drop out, then you kind of say, okay, well, who's the highest remaining seed? They're going to get the buy and everybody else is going to be re reseeded at that point. That's so to me you, the easiest way to do it. So I just, I think like you look at like football, for example, right? Like a 53 man roster. I just think you're like, I don't, I don't know. If you have, let's get, I'll give you two examples. Like, Who's a huge, like, say you have, like, a scrub, like, third wide receiver, right, who gets COVID, right? That sounds very mean for me to say that, but let's just say that you have a guy who's not as important to winning who gets COVID, uh, and then Tom Brady gets COVID. Okay, well, I mean, you, the team, you could make the argument that you could just remove the one guy and play without him, but if the one guy is your superstar quarterback, then how do you justify it, you know? And then one team is going to say, well, you got to go and continue to play, or we will play under these circumstances and another team saying, well, we don't want to play under those circumstances. So it's just like, I don't, I don't, I don't know what the best way to do that is. It just seems like a slow moving train wreck to me. I mean, you can test everybody and retest and whatever, but they're going to have to go in with these stipulations that says, look, we're going to have to bargain beforehand say, uh, you know, if this guy has to be taken out of rotation and put into quarantine or whatever, we're going to either continue without him or we're not, you know, because like you could have 52 guys intact but if uh, Carson Wentz is not one of them, 
That's why he used the second round pick on Jalen Hurts. (laughs) (laughs) The COVID, yeah, the Adam Schefter uh, coronavirus tree. What the hell is that all about? Yeah. Uh, But you know what I mean? I just like, I kept the way I kept playing it out in my head, and I'm like, uh, I don't don't know. There there isn't really a good way to do it. I do want to come back to the UFC thing, though, because. I have to say that, like, of, of all the things that I've seen without any kind of fans, I think UFC might have been the best put-together event. And I thought that the change of pace was really a, a great thing. You know, you think about, and, and I'm obviously not as big of a combat sport aficionado as you are, Kev, but I do enjoy watching UFC because I like watching the Clash of Styles. I don't like as much the uh, the matches where we end up on on the ground in submissions. Oh, it's, see, I like I like those more. Really? But you know, it's fun. You know, it's funny about UFC. I think UFC got a bad rap back in the day because a lot of fans who who jumped into it into like originally were like these meathead douchebag types who just wanted to go to the bar and drink Heinekens and watch somebody get knocked out. Right. And I don't think I don't think people were educated about mixed martial arts to the point where they understood, okay, the jujitsu guy is trying to, you know, bring the striker to the ground and he's, you know, trying to defend going to the ground. And this is the technique that he's going to use to stay up. Right. You know, I I think the more educated you are and the more you know about the sport, the more you respect these guys and the less it's about just seeing some dude get his lights knocked out. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's like more that boorish like side of it that has kind of gone away a little bit over the years. Yeah. I, I I like the striking. I don't know. It wasn't quite like you see the uh, the video going around today of the guy that looked like uh, Jeff Goldblum out on the yeah, the, the, the karate streets. kick guy. Yeah, the guy who like does the, like the spinning the, the spinning uh, yeah the yeah. spinning like roundhouse kick or whatever. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, but I I do think like now look I I like watching professional wrestling right, but I I absolutely hate it without a crowd because you you really feel the intense. Uh, like the intense light being shine on the or shown on the fact that like we all know it's fake uh, but like there is such a high aspect of the performance that's reliant on the crowd and these people are yeah. kind of trained to always have to you know try to elicit a response from the crowd and it just doesn't feel right it feels hollow I think AEW has done a better job because they've been able to do some of their filming outside but like WWE on the soundstage has been terrible UFC, there was something about the realism of every strike, you hearing every bit of contact between the combatants. And like my stream crapped out halfway through the second round of the Ferguson fight at the end. I was good all the way up until then. But to just hear the the never-ending pounding he was taking to the face, it just added this extra level of, of realism where, you know, if the, if the open gashes and the massive swelling that his face was going through weren't an indicator enough, you think about like, you get popped once in a fight, right? Most people, you get hit even with like 40% of the force that Gagey was hitting him with. You're, you're down and out. That's it. You're crying. You're bleeding. You're in a, in a, at a, a huddled mass on the floor. Well, and it gives you appreciation too, doesn't it? Of like sure. what these guys go through. Yeah. And the fact that the, these guys take a beating and then after the match, even the guy who gets his bell rung gets up after the match and is like usually pretty eloquent in what he's saying. 
is able well, to my then wife, my wife thinks it's funny how like they beat the crap out of each other and then when the bell rings they get up and like hug each other and shake hands and stuff. yeah it's well, what's interesting though because it's it's almost like it's a, a show of, of legitimate appreciation for one another and realizing yeah. just how dangerous this, you know. And that's, that's what the idiot fans drinking Heineken's never understood was that what it takes to like, this is the most like, you know, innate, like primal, you know, exhibition of human athleticism that there is. Yeah. If you think about it, like the martial arts date back to since we were cavemen. You know, before soccer and basketball and football and hockey were ever created, you know, there was combat. So this is the natural evolution of that. But now it's refined in a way that we make it as safe as possible. You know, um, still a violent sport. I mean, it's still primal. But I think when you see those shows of respect or to Russ, your point about hearing every punch, hearing every kick, hearing the hearing how heavy they're breathing in between rounds and stuff like that. I think there's that respect and that understanding that, wow, these guys are like elite at what they do. And so I think non-combat sports fans can at least appreciate it from that aspect you know the other thing that i thought was interesting is like sometimes the crowds aren't very educated Mm -hmm. you know and like i think we've all been to a game a football game or a hockey game or something like that where there's some idiot sitting next to you who's booing the ref after a perfectly fine call um you know in mma sometimes they do that when there's not a lot of action going on you know, because they want to see guys throwing punches and throwing kicks and stuff like that. And sometimes, you know, there's a good grappling contest that's taking place on the ground, you know, but they don't want to see that. You know, they want to see guys knocking each other's lights out or something. So you remove that factor too. You know, you're going to have football without Carson Wentz getting booed off the field for throwing an incomplete pass to a receiver who ran the wrong route. Yeah. You know, I mean, like you're going to eliminate that element. And like other sports too, you know, if you're not going to have a crowd there, you're going to hear football audibles very clearly you're going to hear probably be able to hear brett brown call plays which you could never hear before you know unless because he never called plays hey yeah right right and uh hockey hockey i don't know i mean you guys would obviously know better than i but the the sound of the of the crashing into the boards and the um you know the stick hitting the puck and stuff like that is going to feel very organic and very visceral well you know what's what's going to be weird and i wonder if they're going to change this is that it's already mic'd up, right? They already have mics um, in the boards uh, yeah. and on the glass so that you hear the puck hitting the boards, you hear the bodies against the glass and things like that. I wonder with no crowd if they decide not to mic that because it w- might be overwhelming for the viewer. Or, or did they set, you know, or, or to follow up on that point, does the NFL lower the volume of the field level mics? Um, because Bill Belichick can listen back to all that shit and discover what your playbook is. You know what I mean? So, if Carson Wentz audibles out of something, kill, kill, Omaha 42, okay, well, we know that that's a off-tackle run, you know, with Miles Sanders or something. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of, like, little interesting, quirky kind of things to think about when you think about not having the, the white noise of the crowd there in the background. I will say, like, I, I do like if, – if there's one thing that I think ESPN has – dip their toe into and i wonder if they can get away with it now and i think they would but it would be really a hard sell to the nba is nationally televised games you do your typical whitewashed kind of uh pg or or g-rated telecast on espn2 but you allow the mic'd up kind of uh, uh aspects of of what you're actually hearing on the floor on main ESPN with like the graphic language notification when you go to turn on a game or maybe you flip it or maybe that 
that stream lives on watch ESPN or on ESPN plus where you're hearing what these guys are saying to one another on the court. Now, obviously it can become problematic because you assume that there are probably some slurs that are thrown out. We've seen guys suspended. We've seen guys fined over the years for saying some pretty awful stuff to one another. And maybe the league doesn't want to open themselves up to that. And I'm sure that Disney as a brand probably doesn't want to see any kind of uh, real controversy come out. But if, if you were offering me that option on ESPN plus, and I, I could either listen to just the arena sounds, the players and the coaches and, and the refs and everything, or even for it to be like those mic'd up segments or, or like the floor mics or whatever are at their typical levels, plus the announcers. Like, I would love to hear that. I, I think that's how you can end up making the casual fan or, or a fan uh, of sports in general, or even somebody who's just flipping. Well, you don't really flip through channels anymore, but to try to draw some people in, this is the way that, that you make it work. You have to, to try to take advantage of something that's different because otherwise it's going to feel hollow. Let me say I this though, Russ. Problem. Let me say this. I don't disagree with you. I think that you're, I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. However, if we pull back the curtain too much, I think it might expose sports for not being as intelligent as they make themselves out to be. Because then they're going to have to, one thing, one of two things is true, or maybe both of these things are true. Um, one, you'll see the, you'll see and hear the mistakes a lot more. The things that get glassed, uh, glossed over that don't get talked about um, because broadcasters don't want to, you know, make people look bad. Um, or, you know, the media doesn't notice it and doesn't ask questions about it in the post-game news conference. And so then it just kind of gets forgotten about. But these are things that the coaches are going to scream at their players about in the video session the next day, right? Those things are going to now be amplified. So these players might not be as uh, flawless as the fans think they are. And secondly, what I mean by you know, make them not seem as intelligent as, as they think that they are, like they like to portray that they are, if all of a sudden now th there's all this audio and, and the fans can, can hear everything, and just like Kevin said, you know, Bill Belichick can now listen to your playbook, you have to get a lot more creative with how you change things from game to game and they might not have the wherewithal, uh, the, the strategic wherewithal, uh, the savvy to do that enough to make it work from one game to the next. And so I really think that it, it's going to expose professionals, all professional sports, not just one or the other, but all professional sports to be, you know, <laughs> dumb jocks, if, for lack of a better term. So let's flip that the other way, though. So the, the NFL drafted did the thing right where they were piping in was it like 20 30 fans or whatever of each team booing Goodell in the background the thought has kind of crossed my mind before like okay you if there are no people in the stands themselves you could theoretically go on a slightly longer delay of going to tv right like it could be a, a, a two minute delay versus what's happening live the only people who are going to know are the players and, and the in arena workers or whatever what if they just figured out a way to try to, to sign up, say, 100 fans of each team, and you sign a waiver that's like, you know, no offensive language, blah, 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 and that's the way that they try to pipe in some kind of, of noise, of some kind of organic response to what's being done. They figure out a way to just kind of multiply it. You know, you're, you're effectively cloning the audio to try to make it as close to something 
organic as possible since there very well could be no one in these arenas or these stadiums? Or do you just go with the empty sound? I don't know, man. That's interesting. I think the other part that was um, that was funky for me, and like you, you guys know, I'm a little bit. Uh, I, I probably lean more towards the side of, you know, when it comes to COVID. I think we're overdoing it just a little bit. I think I don't know who said it in Slack chat, but I think like from a macro perspective, we all kind of understand what the what the big deal is. But from a micro perspective, like you don't need to be wearing a mask if you're doing push-ups on your front stoop. Okay. Um, but to that point, like define, trying to define what essential is in the arenas. Like when you watch UFC the other night, they had a ring girl, you know, you don't, she, she doesn't need to be there. It's nice that she was there, but she doesn't need to be there. Bruce Buffer was good to hear his voice too. They could absolutely do it without him. Uh, they said that they weren't going to do post fight interviews in the octagon. Joe Rogan's in there shaking everybody's hand, you know? Um, and it makes you think like all the other stuff that goes into it. Like you got corner men, you got coaches in the NFL, you're going to have an offensive coordinator and a replay dude sitting in the booth upstairs. You know, you need security outside the building. If Eagles fans are going to chill in the parking lot or whatever, you have to have some guy control the lighting. You have to have emergency maintenance on staff. Like I think people kind of underestimate like just the amount of people that you're going to have that could still be deemed essential. But there's a lot of there's still a lot of fat that you could trim, you know what I mean? Um, you know, one of the, the we're not we're not going to be there. Journalists ain't going to be there for a long time. There's another part of this that's kind of overlooked, and that's you know the proposals of you know why don't we have people sit every other row or every third seat or like every other section or whatever? You're still going to have to use the bathroom, and like when there's a break in play, you know what I mean? Like when there's a when there's a break in play, like they're not going to add extra bathrooms, right? You they're they're not going to bring in extra porta potties right like anthony anthony you're going to take your daughter to a game and then she's going to sit six six seats away from you right man that's not going to happen like that's not that that's not an experience you know so i don't (laughs) i i think the media are going to be at games kev i think think they're going to invite us in i think we're going to have to go through the same protocols with you know, temperature checks and stuff COVID like that. COVID test us. Yeah, I mean, they're gonna, we're going to have to go through the same thing. And I think that they're going to put us now, again, it depends on the bill. Like I talked about this with Bob on Crossing uh, Crossed Up yesterday. Um, but I think that they're going to put us in separate boxes and separate sections, um, maybe two or three, depending on the size of the media. Uh, football will probably get a bigger spread out because there's more media for football than I think any other sport. But um, they're going to, they're going to spread us out around the building and because they're going to still want coverage of it. I mean, and, and we're not going to be covering it from home and yeah, you know, press conferences are, are going to be done just like press conferences are being done with the president today. You know, you're going to have to wear a mask. You're going to probably have to speak into a microphone to ask the question. You're going to have to spread out in the room. Only a handful of guys are going to be allowed in maybe, you know, yeah, you come in and, and, and you ask questions for three or four outlets and then you share quotes, right? Like we're, and then, pool, like we're pool reporters again. Yeah, and, and, then, and then just rotate it, right? I mean, I think so I think those things are still going to happen. Um, I, so I really think that we're going to be – and of course, you know, like Russ and I had talked about before, you know, Kyle told us back in March – he wasn't officially sending us to games that if we went, we were going on our own volition. It might be that too. It might be that, you know, Hey, you know, we're, we're going because we want to provide the coverage, but we're not necessarily being sent there. 
here's the thing that's going to happen though. You know, you know exactly what's going to happen when the, it's so competitive in this city that if two people want to go down to the Eagles game, then the 85 other motherfuckers who are down there all the time are going to want to go too. And it's going to be like the Carson Wentz thing where they did the super secret meeting with him and like six handpicked media members and everybody else flipped shit, you know, where they were like, why can't we be down there? You know? So I think, I think they're going to have to let whoever they would normally let into games be down there. Well, you could, you could do it. You could do it this way. Right. Because we always like doing an exercise on the podcast. Oh, there it is. I don't even know how long we've been doing the show for, but this is, this might be the, the uh, latest we've ever gone. Anthony, what if you what if you theoretically did something like where you know you you blocked it off and you had like shifts? So say for like the first Flyers game back, you go down there. It's you, Russ, and Carchidi, right? And then for the second game, it's uh, you know um, Russ Cohen and two other guys, right? And then you guys just kind of rotate, but you block it up into like groups of three or four. You share your quotes with everybody else, but at least that gives you an opportunity to ask questions, but you don't have a million motherfuckers down there all stumbling over each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that something that works for you? Well, I, I, it, it does and it doesn't. It, I mean, it, it works in the sense that you, you sit there and say, well, this is what we're going to have to do for now. Um, and then eventually it's going to change. But I think that the team's certain, t- and, and I think every team's going to be different. I think every team's going to try and accommodate their media differently. Knowing the flyers, I think that they're going to go out of their way to accommodate the media. I think that they're going to find ways for all of us to talk to everybody, whether it be uh, that we're, we do a video conference after the game. Um, you know, basically they bring somebody into a room and we, and we sit there up in the press box or whatever box we're in and we get to ask questions in a Zoom conference, right? Um, I think that they'll try something like that. Or what I think could happen for football is I think maybe you, you have, you know, eight or ten guys that are available to speak to the media and everybody's, you know, pulled out to like, okay, uh, this we can, we can have five guys go to this guy and five guys go to this guy and five guys go to this guy. And then the media has to kind of divvy it up amongst themselves, you know, maybe kind of talk, all right, who's going to go who, where, what, and blah, 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 and then share those quotes with each other. Nobody's going to get scoops unless they have – yeah. you know, cell phones and are able to text message guys outside of the, outside of the games, what you're getting there, you know, on the, at practice or at a game day is all going to be kind of the same. Um, and this is why I think sites like ours are, are going to actually flourish with this because yeah. what's going to end up happening is, is we're going to offer you something different. We're not going to offer you the same thing that everybody else is getting. We're going to offer a, a different take, a different angle, a little bit more of an analytical approach that doesn't necessarily require the stock quotes that are coming from players and coaches. Well, it doesn't need, I mean, we talked about this a little bit on always soccer, um, me and the guests that I had on last week, but I mean, really, if you think about it, it's the great equalizer, you know, we're all going to be functioning under the same restrictions. We're all going to have the same access, which is nothing. We might be working off the same quotes or no quotes. And so it's just going to be like, here's a blank slate, put out your best content, you know, and you're going to see who can create interesting stuff without crutch fallback quotes, without, you know, the coach giving you some generic BS, you know, without shoving a microphone in some dude's face. It's here's the game that we just watched. What can you tell us about it? You know, can you give me like an interesting video clip? You know, can you give me a diagram of this? Can you tell me what play was called here? Can you, 
look at a pattern of, of play calls that Doug Peterson made. I don't, I don't know. It's, I'm, I, I don't, you know, I don't mean to like sound like an asshole because I don't, I don't want to see anybody like lose their job or anything like that. But I mean, you're kind of stripping it bare and you're just pulling it back down to the basics and they're saying, here's a game, watch it, tell us what you saw. You know, because you have a lot of people, I think, who are just stuck in a routine where it's like, okay, you go get the quotes after the game, you write off the quotes, this happened, and then rinse and repeat, you know, and there's not a, you know, I think a lot of people have been doing that year after year after year, and it's kind of hard to break out of the mold, but uh, now you're going to, you're going to be kind of forced out of, out of your comfort zone, and it's like a sink or swim kind of, kind of situation, you know. It, it's something Russ and I were talking about a couple of weeks ago when the Flyers were basically pumping out a press conference or two each week. Um, where we were just calling uh, in and talking uh, to a different player or, or uh, coach, and it was the same ten questions every time. And then Russ went on to one. I forget who it was with. Was it with uh, was one with was one of your younger guys? And you started asking them about video games that they're playing. Yeah, I forget which guy it was. Yeah, but it was so it, I think it kind of threw the whole thing. Oh, it, it, yeah, it's, it's screwed. Like I, some people like to watch the world burn. I just wanted to sit back and see like how all the old heads were going to do because like there, there was a really awkward one. I think it was Couturier when he had said something was something about like he, he wasn't reading, like he was watching Netflix or something, but he said something to the effect of like, I I haven't, haven't really been reading blah, blah, blah. And four questions later, somebody goes, Oh, you mentioned before that you like to read Uh, what you have any book recommendations for, for the fans i'm like first of all <laughs> what and he's like oh i don't know i haven't read a book since high school so i'm not really a good person to ask about that so i was like all right well, what are you watching on netflix and it's like just pay attention to the guy don't go in with your same question know, it's like i mean jesus we were what a, a month removed at that point anthony from from the flyers playing their last game and it was like the same two people would ask oh what is a uh, kevin hayes meant to the locker room who what <laughs> we've been we we've been there all year we know what the answer to that question is you could go up to yeah. these guys in the locker room and say hey man like is uh is kevin hayes really the guy that we see and all these behind the scenes things like you could just do that 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 doesn't address anything that well, doesn't give it's... fans any insight into like hey there's a human element here you're quarantined you're back in canada you're away from a lot of your other teammates you're away from many of your friends you're living with your in-laws like all right tell us something about like what's what's been fun or not fun about living with your in-laws for the last three weeks what's it like being quarantined knowing that your wife is expecting like that's a good question that's the thing that can kind of pull back the curtain a little bit but instead it's just been the same nonsense and in a lot of cases it's the same crap that these guys ask in the locker room like down at skate zone during the preseason like none of this matters and it doesn't and like that's why you don't see that many articles coming out after these uh these conference calls i think you're kind of um you're kind of at an interesting crossroads here because you know i think sports writers uh tend to value their profession a lot more than other people do. I think most people would say that they would think that the profession that they do is more important than other people perceive it, but there is a lot of self-importance when it comes to sports writers. I mean, we, Anthony, you remember we were talking about even like right when this happened, you know, people complaining about not being able to go into the locker room in early March, 
you know, because they thought that their job was, they thought that, you know, going in and asking questions in the locker room was akin to like being an overnight triage nurse at Temple, right? Like what we right. do is not that important. I like to think that people get something out of what we do, but we know that when it really comes down to it, we are not essential. Um, but it's interesting because a lot of sports writers like to blow sunshine up their own ass and say that they're really important, but they also say, well, we got to take this seriously and we got to stay inside for the next 10 years. Right. So now they're going to come to a situation where inevitably if they do, if they are allowed uh, to come back and start doing their job again, uh, are they going to contradict themselves? Like, are they going to break the, their own self-isolation rules and go down and take the risk to do something that they've always told us is essential, but we all know it's really not essential. You know, it's interesting. You kind of like end up in this conundrum here where you like to blow sunshine up your own butt, but you're also like, you know, doing the fear mongering kind of routine you know those two those two things don't really like inter, interface perfectly you know what i'm saying yeah well what i think what i think it, and look it's different for i think the nfl and the nba than it is for baseball and for hockey but um you know i could speak from the hockey perspective these teams want us to be there like they look at it as a marketing tool um yeah they don't want bad press but they want press um, they want to be remembered. They want to be recognized. It's a, they do, even though they all support each other, there is, there is this whole thing about fighting for, uh, attention, you know, the public's attention. And so therefore they want people down there to, you know, write about their game and write about their, their team and their players and get those names out there. So yeah, you're a hundred percent right. Like we, you know, the media looks at it. A, a lot of the longstanding guys are a little bit self-important, but at the same time, um, the, the teams definitely it's symbiotic. The teams want us there because they want the, they, they want the, the headline. They want the eyeballs on their story as opposed to somebody else that they're, you know, somebody else in town. Well, then the onus, it's funny because I think if, if, if writers made a stink about going down there and then fans said, what are you talking about? You don't have to be down there. You don't need to be down there. You're not essential. I mean, then you could deflect it really and say, well, I mean, the Flyers are telling us to come down. Mm-hmm. So if you think that's the wrong thing, then com- complain to them. You know, like you're barking up the wrong tree. Like to me, that would be the best case scenario, really, mm-hmm. because we could get back to doing what we do. Um, but you would have a convenient excuse to say like, look, I didn't make the decision. They said like, come on down. Cause we want coverage, you know? Yeah. If that happened, your what you said earlier would be a hundred percent correct that you would have some people who cover these teams would be exposed as people who don't really know what the hell they're doing. <laughs> it's very interesting to think <laughs> about. Yeah. 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 Well, guys, I don't know. I, I, I think we've, I think we've uh, solved all the world's problems. That's all, all right. I got, man. Can I plug? Can I plug my fundraiser before we? No. Yes. Mm-hmm. Nope. That's it. Thanks for listening. Yeah, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> so listen, if you listen to Always Soccer, um, we uh, we we are doing this little charity fundraiser uh, where we're selling some custom jerseys uh, that have the podcast logo on the front. They have a, a little custom uh, number and everything on the back, and uh, we are raising money for Starfinder Foundation and for Kensington Soccer Club. Uh, which are two uh, local organizations that do youth development and soccer programs for underserved kids in the region. So uh, if you go to my Twitter page, very top, uh, the pin tweet, I have some information on how you can buy the jerseys and where the money is going and whatnot. So we're going to try to use our uh, small platform here to raise some money and do something for a, for a good cause. And uh, we'll see what happens, but it's cool. It's a nice endeavor for us. And I was, um, I've been 
interested in trying to put together like a charity thing for a while. So we'll see uh, how much money we can make and uh, try to do something for the children as uh, Wu-Tang Clan would say. That's awesome. I like it. We should all try and do stuff like that. Appreciate it. Yeah. One of these days, maybe we'll get our shit together. It's a great idea. Look at you. Look at you, Kevin. Once Russ gets off the couch and sits sits upright, then we'll start talking about. I it. was cracking up, and you were in the middle of that like nice little you know monologue you were doing, Kevin. And Russ is sitting there lounging back and downing the rest of the coffee, and just the visual was in that. Well, what's, just, the, what's the what's the point of drinking coffee at nine nine forty five at night? Like, are you? Like, I had one of those awful sinus headaches. Okay, all right. and I also wanted to try to get it. You know, I wanted to get through the show, yeah. make sure I'm bringing the hashtag energy, and. uh I don't know. No, I good... Listen, I kind of figured that at some point the newborn's going to wake up. She's going to cause mayhem. I'm going to be up with her and uh, preparing. Yeah. I just want to, you know, things are good. My wife's a champ, so it's not, she it's is. not as bad as, as bad as it could be. So, well, thanks for uh, setting this uh, stuff up while you're uh, busy juggling. Well, as, juggling as Anthony and Bob recently pointed out in their new episode of crossed up, I'm kind of the, uh, the engine that makes the thing go. So Felt really good about that listening That's to the right. to the show. I like it. Look at Anthony smirk over there. I gotta you know, you know I pump you up more than I take more than I take you down. I break you down publicly because it's a fun little thing between us. But you know, you know, you know, you have a special place right in here. In right hell. In the heart. I mean, oh here. <laughs> uh well look. I hope uh hope we brought a little bit of uh enjoyment to the podcast feeds. We're uh just to to let people know depending on the way that you subscribe to the show, you might've noticed a difference. We used to be on the art 19 platform. We're now on megaphone. Um, and part of what they're doing, I guess, throughout the pandemic is uh, download numbers are going to dictate potential ad revenue. So if you don't usually download the show, we're just asking that you do because that'll, uh, that'll help the crew out a little bit, but uh Make sure you get out, support all of the, uh, the fantastic local businesses, of course, our friends over at Odd Logic Brewing Company. Um, they've been working on a bunch of collaboration beers, so, so go check them out. 500 Bristol Pike and Bristol PA. Our friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. Use the promo code CROSSINGBROAD when you sign up to take advantage of some awesome sign-up bonuses. And by the way, guys, uh, I have received word that we are back up and running starting next week with our friends over at Cinch by Amerigas. So go over and use the code it's lit five and uh, get your $10 propane tank exchange. And uh, listen, I'm going to promote the crap out of this because you don't want to go to the store to go swap out an old propane tank. They'll come to your house and do it for you. So very cool stuff. Not we're, to mention you're going to be, not to mention you're going to, we're going to be growing a lot more if yep. we're stuck at home, right? Absolutely. So we'll be talking about them next week. I think that's when the actual run starts, but we're just giving people a little bit of a heads up. It's lit five. And uh, all right, for Kevin, for Anthony, I'm Russ. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.